Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And also, you can check the show out now on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank you guys for listening and staying with the show, even when I took a little break. Uh, We're going toward our next million of downloads, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to tell you about that one day where we had two million downloads. Um, But today I'm going to have an awesome guest, started from the bottom, literally, and, and made her way up. She's a venture capitalist, but not only is she a venture capitalist, she's a woman and she's gay and she's African-American. These are all like unicorns, uh, crazy things that you would not find in normal venture capitalist land, so to speak. But she decided this is what she wanted to do. And she started a company and raised nearly $12 million and has invested in more than 130 startup companies. I'm going to try her on the line now. Her name is Arlen Hamilton. And she wrote a book. It's called It's About Damn Time. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are together now with Arlen Hamilton, venture capitalist. Um, She is a unicorn uh, in the arena of venture capitalism because why? She's a woman. She's African-American. She's gay. You don't see that normally. It's usually the white male that you see in the room handing out the money to other white males. And um, so this is a great day for the underestimated, as she calls us, mm-hmm. uh, to, to um, have uh, somebody in our corner. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. You know, your book, you have a lot of personal stories in there, and you really um, divulge a lot. I mean, thank you for being so, like, transparent. And um, one of the things that was funny, though, is you were a really interesting kid. Talk to the audience about these six watches that you used to walk around wearing. Yeah. Well, you know, when I say six watches, people say, well, how did you afford six watches in the third grade if you were so broke? (laughs) I I said, uh, you know, these are bubblegum machine watches. You know, these are like real, 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 like literally bubblegum machine watches. But I, uh, when I was in the third grade, I, we had, we had encyclopedias at home. 
And I was so excited about encyclopedias to begin with, but I just remember finding out in one of those that uh, what time zones were and that it was a different time and a different place of the, of the world. Yeah. And that was really thrilling and like exciting to me. And so I, I would go to school and I would think, oh, what time is it in Africa? What time is it in Australia? What time is it in Hawaii? And I would just be so distracted by it, trying to figure out the time that I said, well, I'm, I'm going to wear two watches now so I can just know what time it is somewhere else. And that two turned into six. And uh, yeah, people, people look twice for sure. <laughs> but I was, <laughs> I was so excited because then I knew what time it was. But, you know, that is a sign, I think, of where you are today. You were curious um, about what's going on around you and other people. And that's what you talk about in your book is, you know, connecting other people. And I feel like that was the sign of you trying to connect to people, not just in your immediate area, but around the globe, so to speak. You know what I mean? Even at that young age. So um, yeah. uh, that that's something that people may not have, have realized. Forget about how much. I, I didn't think. I was like, she had six watches. They, I thought maybe you rummaged through your mom's drawer or something or grandma's drawer and got her, yeah, like, her exactly. old broken watches or something. You know? no, no, they were, yeah. But I, I still get that because, you know, some people read it and people have their opinions. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> They're trying to be online detectives. I'm like, yeah, you caught me. You know, <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> Uh, another sign of um, where you are today is uh, being a candy lady. I thought that was really interesting. Tell the audience about um, your 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 run as the candy lady. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I don't know if it's a southern thing, if it's a black thing, if it's both. Uh, but we had the candy lady in in Mississippi where I was born and my mom was raised. And we, every time we go back to visit the one of the my aunt, my one of my favorite things to do is to go around the corner and go to the candy lady's house. And she would, you know, it's true candy. You know, it wasn't like a euphemism for drugs. It was really true, <laughs> true candy. And she would open up her garage or her uh, or her kitchen or whatever it was, and she would have just all this candy lined up like she was at a store. And you go in, and, you know, that's how she made her living. And, and it was just really interesting as a kid. It was so normal. Um, and then so I, I just thought the candy lady was so interesting. So, well, she's such an entrepreneur. She was always a, a older lady, and she just, that's how she made her living. So at school, I go back, same same grade, starting at the same grade. I said, well, you know, I, I had just gone to Costco or uh, Sam's, depending on where you live, and I had just gone to Sam's, and I saw this bulk candy, and I asked my mom if I could get one, get a big thing of, of uh, fireballs or right. whatever it was at the time, and she said, sure, and so we got it, and I kept some for myself. And I took the rest to school, and I and I sold it just a little bit more than it cost me, and less than Seven Eleven, and I was I was making hand over fist like ten dollars a week. I was just rolling in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I thought about that because when I was a kid, we had a, a pretzel factory down the street from our school. You could get six full size pretzels for fifty cents. Ooh. The thing is, you had to be the one to walk there in the morning because you know early in the morning they would bake them. So mm-hmm. what we would do is you buy them and then you bring them back to the school and you would charge people more because yes. they were too lazy or they were too scared to go down the street, you know, because you got to cross like, uh, I think, one or two streets and, you know, leave the school, you know, which you probably weren't supposed to do and all these things. But so mm-hmm. me and some people, we would do that with the pretzels. And like, yeah. I just remember, like, why didn't anybody else think about doing this? I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. 
I appreciate yeah. that. I definitely did appreciate well, that story. I love that. See, that's I love that kind of thing. I mean, I think so many of us uh, who are who are entrepreneurs now we're paying attention as just a little kid, and we we don't even realize it sometimes. Right, and you know, one of the sad things though is you talk about this in your book is the adultification of Black girls. Mm-hmm. So you at the early age you had all this you know um, insight and um, entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, you were questioning things and trying to figure out things in a positive way, you know, and, and somebody kind of thwarted it, you know, and, and, and put you in this other box that you couldn't get out of. Um, you want to talk to audience, I, I made that phrase, adultification of black girls. You want to explain to them what you were talking about in the book? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's been studies now, I don't know if there were studies back then, but uh, there are studies now that, that say that, uh, Little black girls are considered just kind of by uh, the subconscious um, and by by culture to be more mature, to be more um, uh, it's like mature in, in mind and, and, and being able to take care of themselves earlier <clears throat> than white girls and also mature sexually, mature. Uh, so you'll see like. Um, the way that they studied it is, you know, if you you watch a, a little black girl walk home from school, most people will just let her walk by because they say she can take care of herself. But if they saw a little white girl walking home from school, they would stop and ask her if she was okay. And that's like one, just one blatant example of it. And mm-hmm. so how that works in school is uh, you, you, you are considered more sassy. You're considered more fast, all that stuff mm-hmm. in school. And so a lot of times when you're acting out, when you're when you're asking questions or when you're being bold or when you're kind of finding your own uh, assert, assertion, it's looked at looked upon more as like you're trying to disrupt class, you're trying to be bossy, you're trying to be this, this, and that, rather than oh she's finding her way. Uh, and, and it would you know with black boys it's a whole different thing. It's more of a, they're aggressive, they're this, they're that, and the other. Um, with me, I was always really tall compared to the other kids in my class, like early on, starting in yeah. third, fourth grade. So I was tall. I was black. I've never been thin. So it's this kind of big figure in school. And sometimes I was bigger than my teachers. Mm. And I was also incredibly curious. So I was, and, and on top of that, I'm going to be real. Like I was also like, I have like, the, I like to see when people laugh. Like that, that's, that's something that's like, I learned early on. I was, I was, it started out where I would ask a question it would be real sincere mm-hmm. and it would make people laugh. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. They're laughing at that. I'm sincere. The teacher just got mad at me. So, you know, I can either keep getting mad, people mad at me or I can get a laugh from it. And, and after a while they kind of uh, knocked me into submission. The teacher, you know what I'm saying? Like it was like, yeah. I no longer felt comfortable giving my true curiosity uh, putting that out into the world because it was just every time I tried to ask something beyond the textbook, it was considered by the teacher I was acting out, and so I just became what they said. You know, I was like, fine, I'll just I'll just be the class clown, even though I was really doing work, doing all the honors and and making the best grades on the tests, and and people were cheating off my paper. <laughs> it was true. That was exactly what was happening, but. They kind of it was like a manifestation thing. I like, that's what you're going to put me in a box of. I'm I'm disrupting. I'm I'm uh, acting Trouble out. Maker, you're not going to kind of really tease out what's really there. I mean, I could have. There, there's a, probably a lot that could have been um, 
uh, opportunity that could have been laid before me if people were looking at me in a, in a different way, these teachers. But they were just like, you know, I was in Texas, and I think a lot of people go through that right now, and they don't even – it's not something that's talked about a lot. You know, I, know. I think they don't know what it is. Like they, they're like, you know, as a kid, you, you, you know, you, you believe what the adult says to you, and it, it sinks into your system. Um, I talked about this adultification situation with Mickey Kendall. Uh, uh, she wrote a book called Hood Feminism, and mm-hmm. and we discussed the same issue. And you know, you begin to you internalize what these people are saying to you, and unless you have you know uh, some kind of outside system. Uh, support fighting for you and being aware of it also, you know, mm-hmm. being aware of, yeah. yeah, sometimes kids don't want to go home and they don't want their parents to come to the school, you know, yeah. they, they don't want yeah. that, you know, so um, it's, it's kind of hidden situation. Um, but now that happened to you when you were younger, but re- besides all that, regardless, you still created magazines, you were taking pictures, trying to take pictures of 10,000 people, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you had your MySpace um, page and everything, you were still doing and, and reinvent, reinventing yourself. And uh, one of those things that matches up with that is the issue of resilience. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what you were going through, you were homeless in the airport. Uh, how did that make you feel? What kind of stress were you under hiding the fact that you were homeless, but trying to pitch business deals? Yeah. And I would say I wasn't so much hiding it. It wasn't something that I was ashamed of. It's just, I didn't want to bring it into the boardroom. It's okay. Okay. You know, it was mm-hmm. like I, I wanted to, and I still say that to people, to if there's nothing, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in in in, in not having it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more about like what is, what I like to compartmentalize the professional and the personal when I can, and then certainly I'm I'm an open book uh, in many ways. But it felt the pressure of it in general, being 34. and not knowing where I was gonna like eat next or sleep next or that wasn't, uh, it wasn't fun. It didn't feel good. And at the same time, I had to, I had to tell myself, I had to tell myself it was temporary. All of that was temporary. All of the, the, the downs were temporary because I was working on something that once it, I knew that once it worked, I didn't know when it was going to work, but I knew once it did work, once it did take off, uh, it was going to be life-changing and it was going to be really meaningful and so I had this this mission in my mind to invest in all of these companies that were led by underrepresented founders, who we call underestimated now. And I wasn't going to stop until I, you know, until until I reached that level. And I, the only thing was, I was like, I don't know if this is going to take. I had been in it for three years by the time I hit the airport. And I was like, I don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna take another three years, another three months, another ten years. That was the hardest part. That's why I think it's like I think about us being in this COVID situation. The hardest part is not is knowing is not knowing when it will be over. Mm-hmm. We can all, we're so resilient. We're so adaptable. And even now, you can see how the difference is between now and, and April. People were really. Didn't, didn't really think that they could get through it, and they have. But that if we had all been told, okay, it's going to happen, and it'll be over January 30th, then we yeah. something. okay, that's what we're going to make it to. That's all we got to get to. And, uh, you know, I think we'd be wearing – more people would be wearing masks, more people would be less yes. – uh, you know, it, 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 so that uncertainty is the hardest part, and it was the hardest part. 
So let's talk about Susan Kimberlin. Mm -hmm. Where did you meet her? How did you connect with her? Uh, Talk to the audience. That's one of your first investors. Yeah, Susan Kimberlin. It was the first investor in Backstage Capital, the fund that I have now. She is an angel investor in San Francisco. I met her in uh, May of 2015 after I had been working on the fund, trying to trying to convince people, hey, this is a, a fund we should invest in. Nobody was investing for like three, three and a half years, maybe three years at that point. And I met her at a course, like a two-week course about investing that I took at Stanford. It was a special course that was being offered. And I had gotten my way from Texas to, to go there, one-way ticket. And I met her there. And at the time, she had um, she had gone there because she wanted to start, maybe start an impact accelerator, like to help other organizations do impact work. Okay. And so that was already cool. That was already like, I already liked that style and that kind of where she was coming from there. And then, you know, there were probably 30 people in the class and everybody had money except for me. <laughs> really, like everybody, like people didn't, people didn't know in that class, like when we had lunch, that was my meal. That was it. That's like, the, it was a catered lunch. And so I was like, good. <laughs> That's, I was just like, this is great. Uh, but, but we, so we started talking and, and I would, she would, she would tell me about things cause she had worked at Salesforce and PayPal and she had all these sort of stories about that. And I would then tell her about different companies that I was looking at and about raising a fund in general. And so um, it took, it took a few months, but September 15th, that same year, um, she told me uh, she's going to invest. Well, she invested. She told me she's going to invest, and she invested that same day. Now you've got a lot of no's, though. That that was great. That was your first yes, and you've had many more after, and you've been able to help a lot of companies. But there have been so many no's, um, and one of the things you talk about in the book is repurpose the energy. Talk to the audience about what does that mean? Repurpose your energy. Yeah, I think about repurposing a lot of things, uh, and, and it could be like just being delusional and again, a positive. <laughs> I just, I just feel like sometimes we get stuck in what our circumstances are, and we're just stuck. Like this is how it is. I can't ever get out of it. This is a hand that was dealt to me, and we're stuck. And I'm, I'm saying like, of course, sometimes that life hits you like that, of course, and it's hitting you like that right now. But you have so much more power than give yourself credit for and that you may even think and that power is in like reconstructing repurposing different emotions and different circumstances so when I was getting all the no's for those three years three and a half years I was getting no after no I mean talking to so many people and nobody was getting it some people were uh just really like couldn't care less or some people thought it was just bogus and some people were like they cared but they weren't gonna put their own money behind that Mm-hmm. I started repurposing that, and I said, "Okay, all that means is that I gotta widen the um, like the net of how many no's because each no is gonna lead me to the to the yes." And yeah. so, I started really saying like a game. It was like, "Okay, I'm 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 hoping she says no. I'm hoping he says no because that means I'm closer to the yes." I know that sounds crazy, but it's like it's a it was repurposing it. So I started saying. Okay, what if I talk to a hundred people about investing and I only get one yes? That's my new that's my new reality. Mm-hmm. So instead of expecting like one out of two people to say yes to me, I repurposed it and I turned it back into something I could control. And I said, let me try this. 
And that's when it became a numbers game. And I think about that when it comes to like the, the, the reason I wanted to start backstage to begin with was re, because of repurposed energy. It was, I was sad, angry, uh, frustrated, disillusioned by the fact that 90% of all venture capital money was going to under, I was going to white men. <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's how, that's the same percentage, uh, give or take of the white, of the people who were writing the checks. And yeah. that, I found that out in 2012 ish. I was so upset and I was like, okay, well, I can just sit here and be upset about it and just be watching it from afar or can repurpose this energy and say, wait a minute, what's that positive spin I can put on this and what opportunity do I see? And that's when I started forming this idea of instead of me trying to raise money for a company that I want to to do, which, you know, I wanted to start a tech company at one point. So what, what if I'm, what if I just start to raise and I somehow raise money and then I put that money behind other founders Mm-hmm. And just like they do with their funds, okay. And then that's that became the the life's work, and uh, and it did take take a while to get that first yes. But once I got the first yes, um, because I had uh, heard so many no's, I was just ready, you know. I, mm-hmm. I was ready. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it, the thing I definitely recommend is like if if you're hearing no's and like you have a company or you're whether it's investment or just like vendors or clients or whatever, don't slack on the other stuff. Don't slack on getting better at your job or getting better at your product or, you know, always have that going. <clears throat> so that as soon as, pardon. <clears throat> That's okay. So that as soon as you have the opportunity, you are off the races and you don't well, have to pause. Right. And you talk about that, you know, make time for learning. Um, I remember even reading book seven habits for highly effective people and, Mm -hmm. and always learning is important. And if you read any article about, you know, people who are entrepreneurs and what do they do and what does their day or week look like, there's learning in there. So it's always important to learn and always important to um, uh, take care of the, the rest of the things going on in your life. And I think that brings to the issue of balance how does somebody not become a workaholic when this is your dream? How, how, when, when do you turn it off? What can they do to separate? Like, okay, I got to stop working. How, how do you do that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, I don't subscribe to the whole uh, mentality of like uh, sleep when you die, work at all costs every minute of the day. If you're not working, you're not a real entrepreneur. Like that is, I couldn't be further away from that possibly, right? (laughs) I don't understand that there people have different circumstances. So a lot of times the people who are like, uh, sleep when you die, or if you're not working on the weekend, you're not a real entrepreneur, though a lot of times they have systems in place that allow them to do that more comfortably than other people. So it's like, you know, maybe people have kids and maybe people have this and that, and it's not the same. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be like measuring against other people who don't have the exact same circumstances. So that's really important. Another thing to be, to, to keep in mind too, is like sometimes these, sometimes you can do things in in sprints, you can do things in sections. So Mm -hmm. it may be that, you know, for a couple of years or a few months or this week out of the month, however you want to frame it. Yeah. This is your all in kind of time period. And you, and you know that, there's going to be an extra gear that you have to get into and you have to be in this different kind of beast mode, as they say, uh, for this particular amount of time. 
Right. And then the rest, and then you come back down from it. The problem comes when you're just at that mode all the time, constantly, because your quality of work is going to suffer, your output is going to suffer, the way you treat people is going to suffer, and that, that kind of uh, deteriorates any kind of uh, return on investment you make. You know, it, it just takes it away if you're treating people poorly, because that just wipes that all, all of the returns out. Mm-hmm. So. I, I do, I mean, I certainly uh, operate uh, at a high level of uh, output, and so I'm not going to sit here and tell people that everything, you know, I don't do the four-hour work week, you know, I'm not doing the, like, sit on the beach and retire at 30 kind of situation, but I also don't think you should run yourself into the ground and run yourself ragged just because you're trying to keep up with somebody. You don't even know their whole circumstances. You don't even know how they are able to do that thing on the weekend. So for me, the best strategy is to like plan out and map out as much as possible and be flexible when things have to change the uh, times and the reasons that you would have to go into that sec- that next gear that just some people don't have. Yeah. And kind of go all in and then make space for yourself and time for yourself to recuperate from that. Well, that um, brings me, you have mental health days at your company. I thought that was so awesome. Yeah. I said, I'm liking you more now. As soon as I heard that, I said, yes, yes. You know, because also, like, I'm a mom, and uh, my daughter's grown now, but, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is, you know, uh, FMLA, paid FMLA. You know, like, in other countries, women um, and men can take almost sometimes a year, like, uh, up off paid in these other countries, and mm-hmm. our society doesn't do that. You know, yeah. we're like um, – uh, the first we just got into letting men take off to take care of their babies. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like, but when is it going to be paid? You know, yeah. um, yeah. what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, just from day one, I've always wanted backstage to be different than I wanted to be different than a lot of places I work. Cause I worked since I was 15 and I wanted to be, wanted it to be different in some ways. You know, I took all the good that I learned and uh, and some of the bad, I brought some of the bad habits into it and had tried to kind of little by little uh, get rid of those. But one of the major things I always said is, like, it, it doesn't make sense, just like we were talking about before. It doesn't make sense to be on all the time. Like, your quality of work cannot be sustained constantly. And if, if you ever see somebody who's, like, they're just always on the, like, running on all cylinders, I guarantee you they have an entire team behind them that's helping them. Like I, like there's just no other way to do it. And so um, I, I want for myself and I want for the people who work with me and who give me, who kind of dedicate their, their lives to our work, whether that's for a year or for 10 years, if they're going to be at backstage, I want them to feel like excited to be at backstage. And if, and if they're burnt out and they're like, oh, I have to go into work now, that's not fun. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Right. So, we have, we definitely have a very flexible um, uh, vacation kind of uh, pr- program, like uh, you know, with our pa- with our payroll package, you can okay. uh, uh, do that. So we definitely have that, like you know, day before, day of, you need to you need to go, you go, uh, mental health, all that. We also have um, a, a way of having a, a sabbatical. And that's across, oh, okay. across like everybody. That doesn't matter if you're a partner or anyone else. Um, we have a certain amount of uh, kind of notice that we need so we can make sure that somebody can do your job. Because they're a small team now, very small team. But we have that because I said, well, what would I want? 
I would want the ability to, I, I'd rather, the way I think about it is I'd rather somebody stay with me <clears throat> for several years um, and in order to do that and like take, take a month off or take three months off on a sabbatical, but come back and, and, and kind of bring everything they brought, you know, from that to mm-hmm. put that talent back into backstage than to just have that leaky pipeline and say, well, you know, I had to go and take a break from working altogether. You know, I'd rather support and sponsor that. And I think that that's like a, that, that really uh, has an ROI in itself. Also very much so, <clears throat> but, you know, flip of the coin, also very much so into being someone's uh, um, stepping stone. So right. I look at backstage now, and again, this is like repurposing. It's a little bit delusional, right? But I look at that <laughs> now as not so much a job that you went to and you were there for a certain amount of time, but someplace that you graduated from. And if you mm. if the people who have been here and have gone, all every single person who has gone from backstage, if if, if it's been their choice or if it's been a temporary gig or if it's been a layoff, you know, every single person is like we just had our fifth year anniversary, September fifteenth, and it was like we invited everybody back. We're like backstage forever, you know, unless you don't want to be here, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like I, I I'm excited when I am thrilled when I hear about people's new jobs, uh, you know, and it's like what are they working on because that that is just so special. And then the the main thing that we're doing right now is starting. I forgot what May maybe it was May or June, uh, starting sometime during COVID. I just said, let's do an experiment and see what it's like to have Fridays off for most of the team. Okay. And um, that doesn't include me just because uh, Fridays are now like my strategy days and it's like a really great time to, to, for the most part, like to just be able to do that without a lot of distraction. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's see what happens. We'll try it for the summer, uh, see what happens. And we tried it for the summer. Everybody loved it. And, uh, uh, and that's what we're keeping. We're going to keep it going. Yeah, my daughter worked at a company that did that type of thing, and they um, they did it during the summer. They didn't do it the, the winter, um, I guess, because they had to get ready for some things, but they right. did it through the summer. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous of you. I hate you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and know? it's because, like, a couple of the people from the team, they use their Fridays for their side hustle. Uh, a couple of other people just, like, catch up at home, you know, just, like, catch their breath. Uh, and so they can actually enjoy the weekend because they have right. that special buffer day. I love it. I think it's really fun. And we're going to keep it as long as we can, for sure. <laughs> this running for public office, I was listening to one of your podcasts, and you said initially you weren't thinking about it, but now you are kind of <laughs> open. Where are you today on October uh, 10th, uh, 2020, and <laughs> running for public office? Well, so what I was saying in the podcast is like I would have said just 100% no two years ago, five years ago, but now I feel like so many people. You know, we I just understand how how impactful that can be more now. You know, mm-hmm. I think we were kind of just kind of floating along for the past few years, and then Obama helped us learn a little a lot. A lot of us learn more about it, and then certainly these last four, three or four years have been so eye opening. Um, so I, I have no intention of, of running for an office. What I'm saying is, like, I now think of it more like um, something that is possible, whereas before I would have been like, that's completely out of line. But, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said it's completely out of line to be a venture capitalist. <laughs> right. But how in the world are you talking about, you know? So <laughs> you never know. Um, it would only be if it were 
it would definitely be just like a kind of a local or regional thing. It would be mm-hmm. something that had some sort of impact, if at all. But right now, what I really just enjoy is is putting uh, money and time and and my voice behind other ca- candidates in different places. That's what I do uh, all day long. So I was um, again listening to some of your podcasts and things, and one of the questions that people had how can I get money from you from backstage capital? And uh, one of your partners on the, on the podcast mentioned pattern matching. What is that? What does that mean? So pattern matching is just a thing. It's not, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something that happens in investing and a lot of, a lot of places, but in investing world, it just means that somebody, some investor will look at a comp, look at a company that they're trying to decide if they're going to invest in and say, okay, well, this company uh, looks, it's in its first year and it looks like uh, maybe Facebook looked in its first year. It's growing that fast. And so I'm going to, I'm going to bet on it because I'm matching the pattern of it. Like you would do with clothing. Mm-hmm. Another way sometimes people say, Oh, that guy looks like Mark Zuckerberg. He's nerdy. <clears throat> he dropped out of an Ivy league school and he wears a hoodie. Like literally we'll say this. So <laughs> believe that he is the kind of person who like my mind is being tricked into thinking that he is going to be successful. So I'm going to put my money behind him. So a lot, because most investors in venture capital are white men, most, and most of them are looking at the Facebooks. Maybe it's now it's a different group of things, but they were looking at the Facebooks of the world. Um, There, there are people who have said out loud who are very wealthy people have said out loud. I can be tricked by someone who looks like Mark Zuckerberg. And so I say, I'm not telling you not to pattern match, but I'm going to go ahead and pattern match too. So I'm going to go ahead and pattern match for someone who's black, uh, heavy, has uh, a gap in their teeth, (laughs) kind of weird, (laughs) you know, and and, uh, uh, maybe something in in, in broadening that somebody who, um, somebody who, uh, you know, is a parent, like the, the, who has a child on the hip, because that's what I grew up knowing was a strong person. That's what the image of a strong person to me is, is a woman with a child on her hip, because she can multitask and she can, she, she's in charge and stuff like that. So it was just, some of it is tongue in cheek, but mostly it's true. It's like, okay, if you're going to pattern match for Mark Zuckerberg, I'm going to go ahead and pattern match for Arlen Hamilton. Let's go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let, we're running out of time. So let's just say, what are the top three things you would tell someone if they need to approach you, what should they know to get um, money? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, it, it, we, since day one, when it was just me and all the, all the way to having a team, we've always made it possible for you to get in touch with us without needing some sort of introduction by somebody we know. So if you go to backstagecapital.com right now, you can sign up for office hours. You can also apply, but I wouldn't apply until I was really ready, right? So sign up for office hours, search around the website as much as you can. We have so many free resources there for you to see what we like, what we're about. Look at the, the companies we've already invested in and get to know them. And so that's one thing is that backstagecapital.com is the place. I would also say check out my podcast, Your First Million. Someone listening now is audio likes, likes audio. So Your First Million is my podcast. I've had it for a little over a year, more than 100 episodes, really great archive interviews get the notebook out. And I tell you so many things that I'm looking for in those podcasts. I tell you so, and you can hear it either blatantly or kind of just pulling gems from it. Uh, so I would do that. 
And the third thing is to know that um, we only invest in 2% of what we see. And that's on purpose. You know, it is a very highly competitive uh, thing that we're doing. It takes a lot of effort and time, as you have heard, to raise the capital to invest. We are only one but many funds out there. So don't let anybody's know be the end of you. Just have a plan, you know, research, take time out, slow down a little bit, and decide what you want for your life. And I guess a little bonus one is to say sometimes you don't need investment money. I know that sounds weird from someone who's in, uh, who's an investor. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you don't need it. And wouldn't you rather have more of your company and more control of your company than not? And I've met so many people who couldn't get funding and they, nobody would fund them. And then they went on to just build their company on their own, bootstrapped, then they had the right customers and they just kept going with it. And then maybe they sold it. And because they couldn't get investors, they owned most of the company mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So really wow. break that down. You know, there are some people who IPO who have less than 5% of their company. Okay. What do you want to do in that situation? Well, this has been awesome. I'm so glad we actually finally connected. Yeah. I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book. So I want to encourage everybody to follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And, again, you can check us out Spotify, Amazon Music, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you missed the first part, I saw some people call in. Don't worry, this will be archived within about a half an hour or so, and then you'll be able to hear the beginning of our conversation, uh, my conversation with Arlen Hamilton. Thank you so much, Arlen. I mean, wow, this is your book is amazing, and we didn't even get into so much. There's so much more in your book, and um, you know, I just really appreciate you writing and taking the time because I think it'll inspire a lot of people. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me on. It's, I appreciate it, and uh, I love what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great weekend, okay? All right. I want to say shout-out to my mother and Alfred Rook Hamilton and my mother, Mrs. Sims. I know they're listening right now. Oh, hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Right. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.